The mayor of Ottawa has declared a state of emergency more than a week after the start of an anti-mandate demonstration by truckers in the Canadian capital. This comes as truckers across the world, from the Netherlands to New Zealand to right here in the U.S., have begun organizing their own demonstrations in solidarity with the Canadian convoy. We'll take a look at the latest in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The truckers are still going, my friends. In fact, there are more and more truckers around the world who are standing up for freedom. But this is up in Canada. The Freedom Convoy is continuing. And they are rolling along and, in the case of Ottawa, staying put, despite the fact that the government is getting increasingly harsh with them and trying to find ways to drive them out, cut off their support, cut off their funding, their gas even. Here's Fox News. The trucker protest is spreading following the example of the thousands of Canadian truckers protesting COVID-19 vaccine mandates in the capital of Ottawa. Truckers in other countries have begun organizing their own versions of the Freedom Convoy. From the Netherlands to New Zealand to London to Australia, truckers are hitting the road to send a clear message. Stop the mandates. Another group of truckers is planning a protest in the United States, driving to the U.S. capital in Washington, D.C. This is catching on. It turns out people recognize the power of truckers to get not just a lot of attention, but of course, to slow down much of the traffic and even commerce in an area should they choose to do so. And governments are going to have to pay attention to this, whether they want to or not. Of course, up in Canada, where they have largely embraced tyrannical madness, you have Justin Trudeau's government and the various factions of left-wing lunacy running cities like Ottawa, uh, their bureaucracies, their administrative state, furious with this convoy. They absolutely hate them. I mean, here's Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slally, who's calling the demonstrations a threat to democracy. Watch. The oath of office that I and my officers swore were never intended to deal with a city under siege, a threat to our democracy a nationwide insurrection driven by madness. A nationwide insurrection driven by madness. That's interesting. I think it's quite clear to anyone who has any judgment whatsoever that the madness really comes from the lockdown mandate left. And the people that want normalcy are not the radicals. The people that stand in the way of normalcy i.e. the Canadian government right now, they are the radicals. Their policies have failed, folks. Let's remember that. They were wrong and they failed. Ottawa police, however, are threatening arrest for anyone bringing material support to truckers. Anyone attempting to bring materials like gas, etc., to the demonstrators could be subject to arrest. Enforcement is underway. Imagine, imagine if there was a, oh, I don't know, a BLM protest, any probably some riots along with the two, because we know that's what tends to happen. Uh, And the police were arresting people who brought BLM protesters food, just brought them support in whatever way they could. We would be told that there was the rise of fascism in either America or Canada. But no, now the police are doing something in Canada that shows who really is on the side of authoritarianism, not the truckers. They're on the side of freedom. And speaking of freedom, freedom of speech, where are we on this issue these days? Joe Rogan has come under attack by the left before any of the recent uh, racially charged racist language came forward from previous Joe Rogan shows. 
they were after him initially. The left was coming after Joe Rogan because of what his stance has been on, not even that he has a particular opinion on vaccines, the fact that he'll talk to people who oppose mandates, who oppose lockdowns, and yes, mandatory vaccination. So Rogan became a target of the apparatus for this. And it wasn't enough merely to say that he was spreading COVID misinformation. Now they've also gone back and found instances of, of Rogan saying the N-word in previous uh, shows, previous podcasts. They have this clip, this compilation circulating right now. Watch. Uh, you've already said D is just like She's calling you a like this boy that he's a that starts calling them There should be a word like especially word that's our he says guy and then start saying about to use the word out the word word and you couldn't say yeah you get it now of course all those clips and that's the way we wanted you to see it that's the way they are circulating it to try to get rogan taken off of spotify the spotify ceo has said so far they won't deplatform rogan for this but they have also donated $100 million to traditionally marginalized groups, whatever that means. Um, Rogan has apologized for this. Of course, that's not enough. The cancel culture mob doesn't care about apologies. They just want power and they want to wield it. We'll get to, we'll get to that in, in a moment, his apology. Um, but here's uh, CNN, of course, America's least favorite hall monitor, Brian Stelter, on this controversy. Here's what he's saying. It's not once or twice. It's not in one or two episodes. This was many, many times. This was uh, something on many episodes of his podcast. Now, this was before Spotify did an exclusive deal with Rogan. So that's the wiggle room that Spotify has to say, well, this was in the past, and he's taking those episodes down now. But Spotify has this exclusive relationship with Rogan, and then this content comes out. And we know all across corporate America, something like that comes out, your relationship is severed. Yeah. And yet Spotify is trying to find a way to stay with him. Mm-hmm. Spotify so far is staying with him. Just on the notion of an apology, here is Rogan apologizing for his previous usage of uh, racially inflammatory language. Watch. I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. There's a video that's out that's a compilation of me saying the N-word. It's a video that's made of clips taken out of context of me of... 12 years of conversations on my podcast and it's all smushed together and it looks horrible even to me now i know that to most people there is no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word never mind publicly on a podcast and i agree with that now i haven't said it in years but for a long time when I would bring that word up, like if it would come up in conversation and stay, instead of saying the N word, I would just say the word. I never used it to be racist because I'm not racist. But whenever you're in a situation where you have to say, I'm not racist, you f***ed up. Remember, he wasn't calling anyone the word. He was referring to it in different contexts, but... Does the left care about any of that context? No, of course not. They just want him destroyed. Why do they want him destroyed? Not because they think he's racist. They don't actually believe he's racist, believe it or not. That's not what the left's position is on Joe Rogan because they were calling for him to be canceled over a week ago before any of this was actually in circulation. They want him destroyed because he stands for 
free inquiry and asking questions about the vaccine mandates and the COVID apparatus of Fauciism, and that upsets a whole lot of people. So saying that he's a racist, this is just a means to an end at this point for people who probably many of them were listening to Rogan podcasts for years, had no problem with any of it. All right, we'll have more uh, on this coming up later on, but we're also more than a week into the trucker protests in Canada, and the Freedom Convoy is showing no signs of surrender. Coming up, we'll have an update on the protests with Rebel Media's Adam Sos. Right now, let's talk about protecting the most valuable asset you own, your home. 100% of the equity in your home can be stolen by cyber criminals. Once it's gone, years of hard work and savings are wiped out in an instant. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, which is why you need Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection. Here's the problem. The deed to your home is the only document that proves you own it, and the deeds to all our homes are online now. In minutes, a criminal can forge your name off the deed to your home and refile as the new owner. Like one new homeowner who spent a fortune in legal fees when a thief forged himself onto the deed to his home and took out loans. Or another homeowner whose common identity theft service didn't protect her after a criminal forged the deed to her home and had her evicted. They could have been protected by Home Title Lock. You need this. Home Title Lock is your peace of mind. The deed to your home is protected. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with Rebel Media's Adam Sose. Stay with us. Mayor of Ottawa declaring a state of emergency as the massive trucker protests in the Canadian capital against vaccine mandates and COVID restrictions continues to grow in an effort to put an end to the anti-government demonstrations. Video from over the weekend shows Ottawa police seizing thousands of liters of fuel being stored by the freedom-fighting truckers occupying downtown Ottawa. Just the latest unethical move coming from a tyrannical Canadian government. For the latest on what's really going on here, let's bring in journalist at Rebel News, Adam Sos, who's been covering the protests from on the ground in Canada. Adam, thanks for being with us. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Just first, if you would, give us an overview down here south of the Canada border, if you will. What's going on? What's the latest? Yeah, it's it's become troubling, certainly. While some provinces, mostly the western provinces, um, Saskatchewan and Alberta, are trending towards hopefully opening due to some border protests and some stronger action by truckers. Uh, out east, which tends to be the more liberal part of the country, they are doubling down. The trucker convoy, which drew international attention and support against vaccine mandates, which are still in place for much of the country, um, have garnered the opposite response seemingly from Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, and the Mayor in Ottawa. They have effectively declared a state of emergency. Um, we're looking at minus 15 degrees Celsius, so very cold there. Um, and they've actually made it illegal to even bring a jerry can of fuel so these people can heat their trucks. Or you can actually be arrested for bringing a sandwich to these folks who are peacefully protesting. Uh, furthermore, uh, just breaking now, and the story is basically developing, we don't have the full ruling. But part of this protest and one of the big emblems along with these truckers has been honking. Um, a Supreme Court or at least a, a federal court judge has allegedly, and we're just getting reports of this now, deemed it illegal to honk in Ottawa. Um, and, and there's a temporary interim ban on honking within the nation's capital. So very much Soviet style uh, control taking place in this country right now. We also know the tensions, Adam, are rising at one of the U.S.-Canada uh, border's busiest ports of entry over a vehicle blockade that has halted traffic, disrupted services. Freedom Convoy is calling the blockade at the Alberta crossing uh, unlawful. What's going on? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think they've definitely mischaracterized what is happening there. Um, I flew over as they were starting to form that, and I've flown back since. We've also had two people on the ground. There are 
vehicles off to the sides of the road. There is a passage, emergency vehicles, buses, local citizens are, are able to get through. But what's developed and what is actually interesting is uh, about 15 minutes away, 15 minutes north, so further into Canada, uh, near the next adjacent town, which is Milk River, the RCMP, our federal police force, have effectively erected their own barricade. And thousands of people have now begin, began to pile up on the other side of that. So they've effectively erected uh, as much of a blockade as anybody else. And people are, are starting to pile up at that point. Um, now, all of this leading up and culminating to an announcement today uh, from our premier here in Alberta, Jason Kenney, someone who was once a real champion of freedom, religious freedom, um, and who has very much since the onset of COVID-19 gone along with Justin Trudeau on most things, despite the odd sort of outburst of opposition. So today he's set to make an announcement and many suspect that, of course, he'll deny that it has anything to do with the truckers, but many suspect that the pressure the truckers presented uh, will result in our vaccine mandate here in Alberta anyways, being dropped as a result of those actions. Where does it look like this is going in Ottawa at this point? I mean, how long can the truckers hold out and what's public opinion like? I mean, you're actually up in Canada covering this, speaking to people yeah. every day. Are, are people, you know, do we get some sense as to whether the, the folks of Canada are with them and what does the polling tell you and what are you picking up from talking to people? Yeah, you know, the fact that $10 million were donated to these people uh, in support of this truck convoy um, and then taken away by the uh, progressive radicals at GoFundMe um, and then they originally intended to donate it to some of their left-wing friends. But um, the, the liberal media and the mainstream media, which is virtually all state-funded, very few outlets, including ourselves, um, are covering this without a state nerve on it. Uh, the prime minister, they're all harbinging this ridiculous narrative that these are all racists and white supremacists. Of course, there's there's tons of Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, um, every background you can imagine, people who drive trucks in this country, despite what they'd have you think. But there is so much pressure from mainstream media to tell us that this is fringe. But then we are seeing thousands and thousands of people in cities across the country and thousands of people rallying as part of this convoy to Ottawa. So if they represent even a small percentage of the people who who are backing this convoy um, I think that I think that the reality is, is that this is a majority when I speak to people on the streets even maybe people who are on board with the vaccine mandates and restrictions at the get-go um, it's few and far between other than your most radical progressive or someone who's going to toe the liberal party line which is the the party in Canada that it, very much the equivalent of Democrats I suppose though far more left-leaning um, the, only the people who are diehard loyalists to those parties are still opposed to this and are swallowing those media lies. Um, from what I talk to people on the streets, admittedly likely a bit of a biased um, angle the people we're speaking to are largely attending these events in support. But uh, the sentiment both nationally and internationally seems to be very positive. GoFundMe, you mentioned this, is getting a lot of heat, and I think it obviously should, for shutting down the fundraising page for the Freedom Fighters convoy. And mm -hmm. by the way, is that the, what their, what's their preferred nomenclature? Because we down south here in America keep calling it, you know, the trucker convoy. How do they refer to it? Yeah, Freedom Convoy seems to be one of them, Trucker Convoy. Uh, they they, they kind of go by all of them, but one of the official channels sort of relaying information uh, goes by Freedom Convoy. Um, so yeah, there, there's a broad sort of, uh, there's a broad use of names being applied, but they'll, right. they'll respond to pretty much any of them, yeah. So, so the GoFundMe uh, effort here was to take money, as you mentioned, almost $10 million and give it out to left-wing groups in total defiance of what people who donated the money thought they were doing. I know there's yeah. also 
another GoFundMe-like site that has received, I believe, as of today, $4 million. But what is the status of, of GoFundMe with regard to what they've done with the truckers here? Are they going to release the funds to them? And, and how's the convoy doing when it comes to logistics? Yeah, so uh, with that, unfortunately, GoFundMe has caved completely. Um, the convoy was basically saying with the funds they'd received, they were actually ready. I believe they were ready to camp out for two to four years in Ottawa until freedoms were restored. Um, those funds being taken away sort of undermines that. But those funds are being immediately redirected to the people. Originally, you had to request a refund. Now they're being refunded automatically. Um, the big concern now, and something I'd like to mention, um, is that people who are supporting the truckers, the truckers themselves, themselves, they're actually being now uh, challenged with arrest, tickets, all these other problems. Um, and so to sort of offset some of those negative costs, lots of these people aren't working right now. They've taken time aside. They certainly can barely afford to be fighting in this protest now that GoFundMe's retracted that money, but they can't afford tickets or lawyers. Um, so at uh, truckerlawyer.ca, we're actually fundraising. We've hired lawyers. We've got lawyers on the ground in Ottawa, basically intervening as police go to speak to lawyers, and we're crowdfunding all of that. So they certainly aren't alone. They do have that support network. At truckerlawyer.ca, but a, a very troubling situation to say the least. Um, but these people very much, um, the funds, I think once they get back to the people, they will find a way to support these people. They will find a way to get it back. In fact, we just had a group of cowboys here in Alberta. They rode down to the border on their horses. It was quite a scene to see. And after that, they departed with, despite the fact that this is now uh, allegedly illegal, um, they've departed with supplies and gas and they're heading to Ottawa as well to fuel them up and help them. Let's be clear about this. What they're doing, what the police are doing is illegal. They can't simply detain and uh, take uh, property from individuals um, without a warrant, without due cause. Um, what they're doing is illegal. And what's wild is the lawlessness by authorities in this country. They have been doing illegal things in this country for two years without consequence. And they continue to threaten those of us who simply want to be free with legal consequences. I think we should all be living by the same rules, uh, not just those under their thumb. Well, I agree. Adam, great work up there. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. ISIS has once again lost its leader to us with a strike. Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qurayshi was killed last week during a raid by U.S. Special Operations Forces in northern Syria. Coming up, we'll talk to senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio, about what, if anything, his death means for the war on terror. But I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise that your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. Spelled S-E-K-U-R, Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never asks for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence knowing you're not being spied on by big tech. Look, Secure only costs $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combo package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. President Biden on Thursday delivered remarks on a counterterrorism operation in Syria that killed Islamic State leader Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qurayshi. Take a look. 
Knowing that this terrorist had chosen to surround himself with families, including children, we made a choice to pursue a special forces raid at a much greater risk than our, to our own people, rather than targeting him with an airstrike. We made this choice to minimize civilian casualties. Our next guest predicts Al-Qurashi's death will have minimal impact on the terrorist group's operations. Bill Roggio, Senior Fellow for the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, joins me now to elaborate on this. Bill, good to see you. Great to see you, Buck. Thanks for having me. First of all, what's going on in Syria with ISIS or any of those groups that we were fighting, these jihadist entities? They were getting a lot of attention until the Trump administration came in, liberated Raqqa. What's the state of play on the ground over there? Yeah, these organizations, you know, this is something I've, I've uh, detected across multiple theaters over the past two decades. Um, because we don't have the will to actually see through and finish off these organizations, and it is a difficult task because they all they operate across borders, they have safe havens and things of that nature. That you know, there's an ebb and flow to the jihad, and in Syria, um, the jihadists, particularly the Islamic State, it lost its last. Um, physical territory in Raqqa, as you noted, in 2019, but it went underground. It became the Islamic State became a guerrilla movement, and now it's um, some of its leaders. Where we killed um, the last emir of the Islamic State in, in a province called Idlib in northeastern Syria. This is an enclave that is controlled by an Al Qaeda-linked group, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, and there is a, a there is an, an Al Qaeda branch there that operates there, Haris al Din. And meanwhile, you have the Emir or the leader of the Islamic State, which is an enemy of both of these groups, sheltering in this area. Um, some people say maybe there was a secret deal between the two groups. Others will say that they had no idea that the, the there's a lot of refugees and it's chaotic. But the reality is in northeastern Syria and Idlib. It's controlled by a jihadist organization, and the last two emirs were killed in an area controlled by an al-Qaeda-linked group just 10 miles apart. That would be Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and Qureshi, the, the last emir. They're, they're killed in villages 10 miles apart. Uh, you know, I don't believe in coincidences like that. Now we had quite an exchange between Ned Price, who's the State Department spokesman, and Associated Press reporter Matt Lee, during a State Department briefing on declassified intelligence of the ISIS raid, wanted to have you react to this. Watch. It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where is the declassified information? I just delivered it. No, you made a series of allegations and would statements. You, would you like us to print out the topper? Because you will see a transcript of this briefing that you can print out for that, yourself. That's not evidence, Ned. That's you saying it. That's not evidence. I'm sorry. Okay, just to be clear, that was actually about Russia and the possibility of a false flag, everybody. So for the control room, we need to make sure we get that one squared away. But the point here being, feels like there's a defensiveness from the top of, well, I guess the spokesman of the State Department and the Obama, I mean, pardon me, the Biden administration uh, situation here. I mean, is national security up to this point a vulnerability for them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after what we saw in Afghanistan, it was very clear that the Biden administration has had a very weak hold on Afghanistan. And then what's transpired here in this particular case where there's allegations of false flag operations in the Ukraine, 
You know, I think uh, the press can only take so much of this. Uh, one of the things I detected amongst the press over the summer was deep frustration with the Biden administration. Uh, and there's a big good reason for this. A lot of people in the press spend a lot of time in Afghanistan. They've made friends there and they watched the Biden administration abandon their friends and then really lie about it on the way out the door. And, and so I don't think they want to see this happen Again, in a country, you know, in the Ukraine situation, you can only lie to the press, um, you know, hide behind classification. That's a whole nother subject, Buck, one that's really bothers the hell out of me, frankly. We pushed very hard, my colleague Tom Jocelyn and I, to get the bin Laden documents. And when the CIA finally did it um, uh, in uh, 2018, they released the information to us. But oddly enough, the rest of the press didn't care about the classification classified documents. So um, their concern on this issue, it's it's quite curious, but I think the press has had enough of being lied to, um, particularly when it comes to national security um, related uh, matters. Circling back to the raid, uh, special operations raid that killed this individual, there are numerous casualties, including uh, women and children from this raid. People were asking, what is the uh, what is the benefit of the raid over the long term? Obviously, taking a bad guy off the battlefield is something people usually just see as a good thing in and of itself. Uh, but there were other people killed in this raid. John Kirby, who's the Pentagon spokesman, uh, had said, we had hoped to be able to capture Abdullah alive. We figured we uh, would require some doing, including the fact he would resist or fight back, which of course his lieutenant did, even though he decided not to fight back. Wait, so what actually, Happened here? Did they uh, he someone went for a, a suicide uh, vest or or detonated a bomb when oper- special operators were going into the house? What, what do we know about the raid itself and how this went down? Yeah. So according and uh, there's an account of a part of it from people that lived around the house where Koeshi or Rabi Haji Abdullah, whatever we want to call him, the Emir of the Islamic State. So the special forces surrounded the building. For, and for 45 minutes, tried to get the women and children to leave the building and get everyone to get out of the building and surrender. According to the military, they're saying that um, that the ISIS Amir, Haji Abdullah, he detonated a bomb on the second floor, or I believe he was on the second or the third floor. And this is what killed a, a majority of, but not all, of the women and children. Uh, you know, I still think we're in the beginnings of understanding what's happening. But this is what people on the ground said happened. You know, look, I I commend the um, the desire to limit civilian casualties, but the special operation, President Biden does acknowledge this. They put themselves at great risk to um, attempt to get those women and children out of there to keep the minimal civilian casualties. But in any type of operation, when you're conducting operations where civilian lives in towns and villages and neighborhoods, because this is where terrorists hide, there you're going to have civilian casualties. That number, it's admirable to try to get it to zero, but you can never, that number will never be zero. So a lot was of- this an, uh, Just, just before we let you go, Bill, was this an important strike? Is this gonna make a difference to security in the region? Or are they just gonna replace this guy that Honestly, very few people in this country had even heard of before. What do you assess in, in terms of that? I suspect that they'll wind up replacing them. They have a succession plan. The real issue can come is if the branches, the affiliates, or the government, what they call their, their provinces, that's in like West Africa, in, in Asia, in the Philippines, uh, in, you know, throughout the Middle East, Will they accept him as a new leader? The killing a senior leader, it's, it's necessary, but it often isn't sufficient. 
in making these organ. I've yet to detect a, a decapitation strike like this that caused the collapse of an organization. Bill, the expertise is appreciated as always. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. The first TV's own Rob Smith made big news last week announcing the launch of an organization for black conservatives, the Douglas Society. Rob Smith joins us when we come back to discuss the group's mission and his plans for the future. Stay with us. The First TV's Rob Smith has been a busy man. Last week, he launched the Douglas Society, a new hub for black conservative content online and an educational resource to teach young African-Americans things they will never learn in the liberal-dominated public school system. He hopes the Douglas Society will be a way to, quote, grow the pipeline of conservative African-Americans into more prominent roles in politics and media. Joining me now is the founder and president of the Douglas Society, our good friend, Mr. Rob Smith. Rob, good to see you. Good to see you too, Buck. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's start with the brilliant words of a fellow named Rob Smith. This is what you said about the Douglas Society. Watch. I woke up to the lies of the left when I realized they were using victimhood to control me. Because using victimhood to control the minds of black Americans is the new form of slavery. And victimhood is the message black Americans are bombarded with via the media every single day. But from CNN to MSNBC to the New York Times and even the Shade Room, black Americans are bombarded with messages from leftist controlled media that we are victims and we couldn't go anywhere to find the truth until now. This is why I created the Douglas Society. So Rob, what, what will this organization do? We just watched a clip there of what you said about it, but add, add a little more detail here. What are your expectations? What's the mission? Well, the mission right now is to basically to um, reach out to young, disaffected black millennial, either they're Democrats, they're independents, they're conservatives, they're people that are just really upset about what's going on with this uh, administration right now. But this is the issue that I have with conservatives and Republicans, Buck. Conservatives and Republicans do the same song and dance about six months before every election. They discover that African Americans exist again. They try to reach out to them in, in, in places that they are not showing up, and then as soon as the black voters don't vote their way, they say, oh, well, well, we tried. And then, you know, it's back to the drawing board um, till two or four years later. What we're trying to do with the Douglas Society is a couple of things. But first of all, we want to make it a hub for black conservative content online. I think a lot of people do not realize that most young African Americans are not watching mainstream media. They're not watching the cable news networks. Where they are is on social media. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram, most importantly. And what I wanted to do do was to find all of these amazing black conservatives that are doing all of these great things that nobody is seeing because they're just falling to the wayside and put them where people can find them. So that's what we're doing specifically on DouglasSociety.com and on Instagram at Douglas Society. So what we're trying to do, you will go to the Instagram account and see right now, um, we are highlighting prominent black conservatives like our great uh, Congressman Burgess Owens. We've got some content coming up with people like um, Harris Faulkner people like Senator Tim Scott, all this stuff that is going on. And eventually what we wanna do is we want to create the kind of content that is going to break through to African-American viewers and voters where they are, which is not the mainstream media. So I think that we've gotten a good start. Um, where Our numbers are up all over social media. People are loving the mission and they see it immediately when they go to DouglasSociety.com or they go to Instagram or Facebook at Douglas Society. 
I wanted to also ask you, and by the way, good luck with the new project, and we'll obviously be talking to you more about it as it continues to grow, um, but the effort to get rid of Joe Rogan right now, where do you come down on, on all this, Rob? What do you think about this, given that it was about vaccines <clears throat> and his misinformation, then all of a sudden, a week later, there are clips circulating of his use of the N-word in conversation over, over a number of years. He's, he's already put out an apology. What do you think about all this? Well, this is what I think. First of all, you never apologize to the mob because the mob does not want your apologies. They want your submission. I've told you this over and over and over again, and I do believe it to the core of my being. Now, Joe Rogan said the N-word on his podcast in context, and he said that he thought that people would understand. And I think that most people do understand. I think that there is a very small minority of people that are pretending to be offended because it brings their side political power. The political power that they want right now is the power to suppress or censor Joe Rogan, who is, by the way, not even conservative. He is just a liberal and he's an admitted liberal, but he just does not toe the party line and he, he cannot be used to push their propaganda. This is why they're destroying him right now. This is why there is this attempt to destroy and smear him. I believe Joe Rogan as a racist is trending on Twitter. Um, so this is a concentrated effort, Buck. And you have to understand, let's look at this from a media and corporation standpoint. The amount of listeners that Joe Rogan has on his podcast dwarfs most mainstream media. It certainly dwarfs CNN and MSNBC. Nobody is watching that stuff anymore. So this concentrated effort that you're seeing to destroy Joe Rogan is not only coming from the usual brown shirts on Twitter who live to be offended by things and who live to cancel people or to try to dissent unpopular views or views that they don't want people to hear. But this is coming from the corporations that see Joe Rogan and his massive audience as a threat to their influence. These people are becoming less influential by the day as podcasters like Joe Rogan are becoming more influential. Look at how CNN has completely imploded over the past week with the ouster of Jeff Zucker. The concentrated effort to destroy Joe Rogan and to smear him and to get him canceled and deplatformed and all of that stuff, it is not coming from nowhere. It is coming from the top because he is a threat to their relevancy, their influence, and their bottom line, which is the ratings. Spotify so far, Rob, is not canceling Rogan entirely. Daniel Eck, the CEO, put out a memo to all Spotify employees. He said, following these discussions, his own reflections, Rogan chose to remove a number of episodes from Spotify. He's also issued his own apology of the weekend. While I strongly condemn what Joe has said, and I agree with his decision to remove past episodes from our platform, I realize some still want more, and I want to make one point very clear. I do not believe that silencing Joe is the answer. Do you think, do you think he stays with this? Um, the Spotify CEO, I think he does for now, because here's the thing. This, this concentrated effort that you're seeing right now is the most intense that it will be. It will keep on being intense for another two weeks until they find another target. So I feel like if he stands his ground on this, he will eventually continue to stand his ground. But these people that are trying to get Joe Rogan silenced are the same people that would want to get you silenced, the same people that would want to get me silenced. They do not stop, and there is no way to appease them. And the Spotify CEO has also announced that he is um, donating 
donating or, or uh, giving another $100 million to sort, to sort of um, support marginalized creators or marginalized communities or something like that. So that's a part of the shakedown, right? A part of the shakedown is, okay, give us some money and we'll shut up. But these people that are complaining about Joe Rogan right now, they are not going away, they will not go away. And you have to understand that we are in an election year. It's a midterm election year, but it is an election year. And these people have blown his influence up so much that they want to demonize him leading into these elections so that he can be smeared as a conservative or right wing or Nazi or alt right or whatever it is that they call anybody that's not parroting Jen Psaki's propaganda from the White House press room. So that is what this is all about. Rob, thanks so much, my friend. Good to see you. Thanks, bud. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is a perfect representation of the Democrat Party ethos, elitist, sanctimonious, hypocritical, and addicted to power. I will explain coming up in Quick Hits. A school in D.C. forced kindergartners to march around with BLM signs and chant Black Lives Matter. And Georgia gubernatorial candidate and fierce mask proponent Stacey Abrams has sparked quite a bit of controversy after tweeting a since-deleted photo of herself posing maskless indoors, surrounded by masked-up students. The hypocrisy never ends, folks. Let's, time, uh, let's get into it right now in quick hits. First off, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, if you were looking up limousine liberal in the dictionary, uh, Nancy Pelosi's face should pop up. I don't know if it will, but I mean, she's just such a fraud. It's always about the children. She even said she's running again for the children. She cares so much about climate. She cares about the poor. She doesn't care about any of that stuff. Just goes and plays the game and, and likes to be very powerful. And that's what it's really all about for her. Here she is, though, once again, on the climate issue specifically, her fraudulence is epic. She shelled out nearly $500,000 for private jet flights just since the year 2020. Despite House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's claims that the U.S. has a moral obligation to address climate change, the California Democrats' campaign paid Virgin-based advanced aviation team a total of, or Virginia-based, rather, uh, advanced aviation team a total of 423000 $707 for travel services on 10 occasions between October 2020 and December 2021. According to analysis from the European Group Transport Environment, private jets produce more carbon dioxide emissions than commercial air. I mean, that's obvious, right? So we don't need to read that one. It's quite clear. Here's the point, folks. Nancy Pelosi wants you to fight climate change by paying higher taxes, carbon taxes, uh, by riding a bicycle, being on public transport. You get to ride the bus to fight climate change, Pelosi gets to fly private and feel good about herself. And that's the way this game is played. And we all know it. Now let's talk about some other hypocrisy that is out there. Um, Stacey Abrams, you will see in this photo, she was in a classroom uh, over the weekend with kids. I guess this was on Friday. Kids all masked up. Now, the thing about Abrams is that she is almost 50 years old. She is obese and she is therefore at high risk of COVID. Comparati uh, comparatively, at least, to all the children in the room who are at very, very low risk of COVID. So let's all look at this photo for a second. Why is the person at greatest COVID risk the only person not wearing a mask? Start with that. Now add to that, we know that the masks don't work the way that they've said they've worked the whole time. That's quite obvious, which is why people like Stacey Abrams don't wear them in the first place whenever they can get away with not wearing it, which these days increasingly is, well, whenever they feel like it. Um, this is all, of course, 
appalling. Uh, masking up children in school is child abuse. People who are demanding this are abusing children. They should be ashamed of themselves. This is not what the science tells anybody anymore. This is about political tribalism. And just as an aside, Stacey Abrams is a huge fraud, but we already knew that. Brian Kemp, governor, the actual governor of Georgia, tweeted out on Massless Abrams uh, uh, about uh, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams wants state government mask mandates for Georgians and their children, uh, but it looks like they wouldn't apply when she's attending a photo op. Exactly. Somehow you see, this is very important, the virus knows not to infect you if you're a really important Democrat doing important things. The children, of course, don't get that special consideration, but if you're a really, if you're a really important Democrat, the virus knows, hey, we gotta, we got to take care of this important Democrat. We've got to make sure we don't infect that person. Of course, that's insane. We all know it. But the Democrats don't care because they want to just be in power. A school in D.C. has forced kindergartners to march around with BLM signs and chant Black Lives Matter, of course, while wearing masks. Watch this one. I mean, this is the definition of political indoctrination, right? We all know. We all know what's going on here. They tell you, oh, no, we're not teaching CRT in schools, or they tell you that there's no effort whatsoever to try to indoctrinate your kids into the ideology of the left. But we know that's a lie. And we keep seeing it over and over again. They're lying to you on purpose. They're hoping that you will get distracted. They're hoping they can continue to get away with this. But Fortunately, the more information gets out about what's being taught to kids in schools, the more angry parents get about this nonsense, and the more they want to take action, which is all very much what should happen. Uh, they should show up at school board meetings, and they should speak out against this craziness. All right, a woman explaining why she changed from Democrat to Republican Party affiliation. Watch this one. If you didn't know me, I was a registered Democrat, probably still am, and I even caucused for Hillary. And people often ask, what was my aha moment? There's not one moment, but I will tell you this. Evening of the election results, I was sobbing when they said Trump became president. I literally was like, huh, huh. my husband said, and he's, we've been together for over 20 years, he said he's never seen me like that. Because I thought it was going to be the demise of America. I was embarrassed that the American people picked him as our president, and he represents us as Americans. I thought America was going to implode. Like... I was so afraid. And then about a year later, a year and a half into his presidency, I was looking around, I'm like, hmm, things aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. In fact, they were actually better than they were with the previous president. And so my eyes started to open and I started to do a little more research and I started to question things. And now a year into this presidency, it's exactly what I thought was going to happen when Trump was president. Our country is imploding. We've never been more divided. It has everything to do with the current administration. And that's irony. Party of logic. There we go. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.